This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, thank you, Frank and Tracy. That was just, just lovely. Where's Tracy gone? Oh, sorry, didn't see you. Oh, thank you both. It was, it was just lovely. Um, just fellowshipping together like that. You just, just can't beat it, can you? It's a time when you can just sort of really concentrate on um, flowing together in the spirit. It's just really lovely. Well, hello everyone. If you've joined us in the meantime, you're very, very welcome. And uh, I've got a really, I'm really pumped about this message this morning, I must be honest, because we're actually going to open up the spiritual realm a little bit, and we're going to look at the role of angels in our lives. How exciting is that? Because we just don't often talk about angels, do we? We, we, I mean, I mean, obviously we can't major on them all the time, but sometimes we, um, you know, we, it would be good to just have some time. We don't want to neglect that as well in our, in our, in our, in our lives. And just, I think there's just so much more about angels that um, we, don't, we just don't know about. So we're still in Luke, okay? And uh, the verses to this morning are Luke 12, um, verses 8 to 12. And this sermon breaks it neatly into three sections. And I'm going to talk quite a bit on the first section. And you might be thinking, oh my goodness, and the lunch is going to spoil. But the sections get quicker and quicker, okay? So, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just excited. So let's read it together. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you have to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's just have a moment of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, it literally is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open up your word to us this morning, those here in this room and those online. Father God, I pray that something really exciting, they'd have an encounter, we'd all have an encounter with you this morning. And it would really be an encouraging encounter that would lift us up, build us up and just fire us up for the next week. Thank you, Father God. Okay, so as I say, it's three sections, so I'm just going to look at the first two verses now, verses 8 and 9. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. And the key word in this section is, I think, acknowledge. So we're going to, as Mark says, have a little peek at the Greek. And this word is homologio. And it comes from two stems, homo, which means the same, and logos means the word. So it's the idea of saying the same word or saying the same thing as someone else, to agree with someone else, to even profess 
what someone else is saying, being, you know, um, agreeing with them, basically. And I think sort of the first thing that jumped out of me here is that we, we need to be consistent in our lives, that, you know, on a Sunday morning, we're happily professing Jesus and worshipping him and having conversations with each other about, about him. And we need that consistency, as Frank was saying in the worship. May we be like this every day of the week, you know, when we're in the supermarket or meeting friends for coffee or, you know, standing at the coffee machine at work or in the playground at school, we need that level of consistency that we still acknowledge Jesus, that we still are prepared to say, yeah, Jesus, I follow Jesus. You know, he, he, he guides my life. Then we, yeah, it follows on from what Dave said. I just missed that little bit, sorry. He follows on from what Dave said last week that, you know, we, don't need, we shouldn't fear man. We shouldn't fear what others would think of us. We shouldn't fear ridicule. Um, it's very hard, isn't it? Because we're quite sensitive to that, aren't we? When people want to tear us down or make fun of us. And yet, you know, I think we're going to see this morning that God is, is giving us extra support. He's giving us the Holy Spirit in our hearts to just enable us to withstand that kind of barrage of, of, of criticism that we might feel we're, we're getting. Okay, the other half of this verse um, says, the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And this word deny is really strong, okay? It actually means to disavow or just reject Jesus. And, you know, I think that's something that, you know, we, obviously we don't, we don't do every day. We don't get an opportunity to do that, thankfully. Um, but there's one person in the Bible that did do it, and I'm sure you know who he is. Anybody want to give me any suggestions who might have disavowed Jesus? Peter, yes, thank you. Yeah, Peter at the at the point when the trial occurred of Jesus, as we know, he, he actually denied Jesus three times. Um, he said he didn't even know the man. So I think that's the level of rejection and denial that this scripture is talking about, okay? Um, on the slide, you'll see at the bottom there, there's a further study bit. And I know that in my meanderings through the scriptures that I'm given, I tend to go digging deep down, going down wormholes and things. And I think sometimes my messages get a little bit too long. So I've tried to be a little bit more circumspect today and just given you the further reading. <laughs> so next week, if you want to sort of take a, a, a deeper dive into any of the bits that I've been talking about, um, there's scriptures up there that you can just further your study. So I want to go back now to that first section here where it actually says that Jesus, homologias, he actually says the same thing about us to the angels because it's the angels I want to really um, sort of focus on. Now, you could spend a whole month talking about angels, I think. Four sermons probably wouldn't do it. Um, so obviously, I'm going to have to miss bits out. But I was just thinking about it. Main, there's loads of different roles that angels have in the Bible, don't we? We have messenger angels. Gabriel is a messenger angel, in my opinion, because when he appears, he's always giving a message. He appears twice to Daniel, and then he appears twice at Jesus' birth to Zechariah and then to Mary. And then there's angels that bring answers to prayer. And in Daniel chapter 10, we got this amazing description of an angel that is bringing an answer to prayer. Listen to this. His body was like beryl or topaz. That's a sort of blue, iridescent, precious stone. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. This is an angel we're talking about. His arms and legs 
gleam of burnished bronze, the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Remind you of any description? (laughs) It reminded me of Revelation chapter 1 where it talks about Jesus in similar terms. I mean, obviously, Jesus is way above the angels. In Hebrews 1, we know he's far superior to the angels. He's not a created being. He's God himself. But clearly, when God made angels, some of the glory of heaven that is manifest in our Jesus is actually reflected in these angels. They are big, powerful beings. And in fact, John made the mistake in Revelation 22 of trying to worship an angel because they were so glorious and magnificent. So these beings are amazing. And in fact, if you read on in in, um, Daniel chapter 10, you'll find that this angel, this amazing creation of God, could not get the prayer through. It was 21 days because he was stopped by other angelic forces demonic forces, satanic forces, forces that were stopping the prayer getting through. So that's an interesting one for us. I can't go down there today, but obviously there's a whole message on that, isn't there? And another angel, Michael, one of the chief princes, had to turn up with his army and rout these other angels so that this messenger angel could get through with the answer to Daniel's prayer. Okay, so I'm going to concentrate today on none of that. (laughs) I'm going to concentrate today on what it said in our scripture at the very start about homologia, about Jesus speaking to the angels a word, and then we're going to see what the angels do with it. So let's have a look at Hebrews 1.14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And this word serve is to obey obey instructions, okay? So it's like you've got a servant in your house um, and, you know, you say, can you get me my breakfast or could you clean my room? Um, Yeah, (laughs) not mothers or fathers, (laughs) Um, but in, you know, in the olden days when you, know, you had upstairs, downstairs, and you had servants that did stuff for you. And this idea is, is what's behind this word serve. So the angels are waiting for instructions. And if we have a look at the next scripture, in Psalm 103, it's even clearer. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So that's the idea again. The angels are poised, they're attentive, they're ready to what? Hear what Jesus is saying. Hear his instructions. And here we, I, I want to invite you to think about the fact that Jesus is Jesus, but he is also the Word. He is the Word. <laughs> the Word became flesh, but he was actually the Word first. He is the, ex- he's the expression of God in the Word. He is God, and he's the expression of God. And when he became flesh, he became a man. And that's who we think about. We think about Jesus as a man, but he's actually the word. So in some way, the angels are waiting for the word, Jesus, and his instructions. And earlier in the verse, the yellow bit I've highlighted, it says they do the word. 
And this is a really strong word. It means they accomplish. Accomplish. When you think of you're accomplishing something, that's the idea of finishing a job, isn't it? They advance is another term that is used to translate this do word. They bring forth, almost like giving birth to something. They fulfill, they perform. So these angels who are attentively waiting for God's word are then the ones that take it and run with it and do something powerful with it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I I sort of knew this, but I sort of didn't. And it's really sort of got quite fired up. Anyway, we've got Psalm 91 as another example. I mean, there's loads of them, but I've just picked a few. So I've picked a verse out um, to put it in context. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, dot, 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 he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So God is commanding his angels. Again, it's that idea that the angels are waiting for God to tell them what to do concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So that the angels are activated by God's word and they put God's word into action. And I was sort of reflecting on this and sort of having a little prayer about it and saying, God, you know, where's, how can I explain this more clearly? And God reminded me of Isaiah 55. And, you know, who says the Bible's not scientific? Because here we have a beautiful description of the water cycle hundreds of years before it was formalized in science textbooks. So Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth first, if you like, and make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, some translations, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. That is so powerful, isn't it? So God is using a simile here. He is saying that his word is just like the rain and the snow that comes down from heaven. And it's impossible. There's nothing that catches the snow and the rain before it reaches the earth. It waters the earth. And that watering has a positive effect. And it brings forth, it causes seeds to germinate. It causes things to grow. We're seeing all the crops in the field at the moment. All that is because there was a seed in the ground. And if it hadn't been watered, then we know it would not have grown properly. So this is what God's word is like. It is just like that rain that comes down from heaven. It always waters the earth and it brings forth good things. Now we could wonder what the earth is, is what's the simile, what's the parallel. And I thought a little bit about the parable of the sower. It's different there. The, the simile is the seed is the word. But the earth, the soil in the parable of the sower is our heart. So God's word, I, I think, is coming out into us. And it comes out of the pages of the Bible as we read the Bible. And it seeds itself in our heart. And it gets watered as we meditate on it and think about it. And then it starts to bring forth. And 
The, the challenge for me was the water cycle is a complete circuit. The water comes down and waters the earth and eventually like it might flow into rivers and seas and things and then it evaporates back up. Yeah? Everybody with me with the water cycle? Yeah? Cool. So what is the backup bit in this scripture for us? Whoops, sorry. I think it's the fact that we then speak the word out. If you think of the homologia in the first slide, the speaking the same thing, and the Bible is the word, it is Jesus. So when we speak back the homologia, we homologia back God's word, we're like returning it back up into heaven. And we know that as Jesus hears us speak, he agrees with us, speaks to the angels, the angels get sent out, and the whole cycle repeats. Do you get where I'm going with this? I think it's quite exciting. Yeah, um, per- a bit of personal testimony. Um, I, was, I was privileged at the end of last year to, um, to pray for someone who, was, who had covid and it was an, it's a couple um, that I don't know them at all, but they're friends of friends sort of thing. And this man um, isn't a Christian and had no hope or faith in, in God. Um, and his wife didn't either. And he got COVID and he got really seriously ill. He was one of those people that was on the critical list. I, he was, I mean, the doctors were talking about him not lasting the week, you know, not lasting the night the, the wife, two children, the wife was absolutely devastated. And a friend of mine said to me, would you pray into this situation? And, you know, sometimes God lays a burden on you, doesn't he? He, you know, we can't pray about everything, um, but God will lay a burden on you for a particular thing. And for some reason, this gentleman um, was on my heart and I repeatedly prayed for him. And I remember there was one session where I thought it was, he was literally on that cusp between life and death and God really anointed a prayer in my heart and it comes from the Holy Ghost and I started rebuking a spirit of death and I started praying into that situation the word of God he shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord he shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord and the more I prayed this the more I felt because it was the word of God that it had incredible power in the spiritual realm I wasn't there I had never met the gentleman and um you know I just kept praying and there was like a feedback loop a bit like this water cycle that the more I prayed the word of God the more I got this sense that something was happening in the spiritual realm and this gentleman miraculously recovered I mean they they honestly had written this man off and he miraculously recovered it took him a long while it was steady as it sometimes is with COVID with people who get seriously ill but he was literally a firebrand snatched from the fire so all I'm the only reason I'm mentioning this is to say that I think it was engaging with the word of God in a, in a way that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He gave me the scripture, the, like the key for that situation. And as I prayed it and believed it, that something was happening, this sort of feedback loop that we're talking about in Isaiah 55 of the word 
coming down and then going back up, the angels being dispatched and, and moving in the spiritual realm. Who knows what was going on in that hospital room? You know, angels might have been dispatched to that man. Spirits of death and demons that were trying to steal his life might have been vanquished from that room by angels because of the word of God. It's not us. It's the word of God that has the power. And this is the end of my first point, which, as you can see, has gone on a long time. But my challenge to all of us is, what are we confessing? Are we confessing something that Jesus can agree with? Are we confessing things over ourselves, our lives, our families, our friends, over situations in this world? That is what the word of God says. Because if we're saying what the word of God says, Jesus agrees with us in heaven, the angels then are dispatched because they're attentive, waiting for his word, and things change on this earth. So let's move on. Point number two, verses 13, uh, sorry, 10 and 11. Oh, is it just 10? Yeah, just 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And I think Jesus wanted to qualify his original comments at the start of our sermon, where he says that he won't acknowledge someone who doesn't acknowledge him. He's basically saying, even if you don't acknowledge me, uh, that can be forgiven. Okay, and we know that Peter was restored, wasn't he? And um, Jesus appeared to him on his own after the resurrection and had a, a special encounter with Peter that we don't have the details of in the Bible, but we know that he appeared to Peter and I think Jesus would have restored him at that point because Jesus knew Peter's heart was not to reject him. So, you know, even if we have a bad moment and we don't um, say the right thing at times, this can be forgiven us because God knows our hearts. But there is a sin that can't be forgiven, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And um, I know a lot of Christians worry that they have committed this sin. And I don't think that it's possible for a sincere Christian to commit this sin. And I just want to explain that more clearly. This word blaspheme means to vilify, to revile, to speak evil about about the Holy Ghost, to revile, to vilify, to speak evil about. Can we do this? And, you know, is this then an unforgivable sin that is on our record? As I said, I think not. Um, when we look at this in more detail, it's helpful sometimes to look at the other passages in the Gospels that talk about the same bit. So if you go to Mark 3, you'll find that this section is, is, is described by Mark, and he adds an extra bit, which is actually quite helpful. It's that bit where, we did it in Luke 11, where the, the scribes came down from Jerusalem and were saying about Jesus that he's possessed by Beelzebub, and it's the prince of the demons by which he's casting out demons. In other words, they were saying, Jesus is possessed by the devil himself. And that's why he can actually ca cast out the lowly demons. I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? Um, and Mark goes on to say, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, children of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whosoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, 
because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So this is the key. This is the specific sin that can't be forgiven. And that is saying that when you see a supernatural manifestation like deliverance that, and attribute it to the devil rather than Jesus, that is the unforgivable sin. Now, as I say, some people might think they might have done that by accident. And I know in our, the life, the, 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 the time we're living in, there are all sorts of supernatural manifestations that are happening in different churches and things. And I know it's tempting to think, oh gosh, is that really of God? I'm not sure about that one. Um, and I would just say, you know, just be cautious because, you know, we don't know everything, do we? But even if we make a mistake and we come out and say, I don't think that's of God, um, I I still don't think that we've committed this sin, and I'll show you why. The the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, actually did just this. He says he blasphemed against the Holy Ghost. He blasphemed, and it's recorded in 1 Timothy. And Paul is writing, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. So we know that Paul actually dragged Christians into prison. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was absolutely evangelical about suppressing this new Christian sect. And yet... Because he acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and how often could that be said of us if we were to make an unguarded comment? You know, we would be acting in ignorant, ignorantly and in unbelief, and God's grace is there for us. So I think what Jesus was saying in that passage, the passages we've read about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, shows that it's got to be even worse than that, that you have to willfully understand what you are doing and he was warning the Pharisees that they were on the cusp having seen so many amazing miracles that he had done that they were at that point of moving over into a willful and knowing rejection of himself and the Holy Ghost who was working through him. So as I say I think if you're a sincere Christian you love the Lord that you cannot commit this sin because in your heart, um, you know, you might say something in ignorance and unbelief, but that can be forgiven as it was for the Apostle Paul. Finally, my last point, verses 11 and 12. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So this scripture is telling us that we don't have to prepare a defense in this particular situation. And which one is that? It's when we are called to give an account before religious authorities like the synagogue and the the Pharisees as it was in that time, any rulers and authorities, like the governmental authorities it would be in our country. 
If we're drawn up, if we're arrested and put in prison and then we have to give an account of ourselves, this scripture bursts into action. We do not have to think beforehand and give a defence because in that very moment when we walk out the door and have to stand before the judge, God is going to give us something great to say that is, comes straight from the Holy Spirit. So this doesn't, doesn't mean that we can be lazy about our knowledge of salvation because to balance that scripture, there's another one in 1 Peter 3.15 that says that we should be always prepared to give an account of the reason for the hope that we have in gentleness and respect. So, you know, in everyday life, we should be able to explain to other people why we love Jesus and believe in him. But in that unique situation, when you're under persecution, where you are being hauled up before authorities, religious or um, judicial, you, you, you will be helped. And a good example of this is in Acts chapter 4. This is the the chapter that follows on from the healing of the paralytic, the lame man, who was outside the gate beautiful. And Peter and John go into the temple and um, he's he's begging and a, a wonderful miracle happens. And the man gets up and walks and is the platform for an amazing um, preach from Peter. And he starts preaching that Jesus is the Christ and he's the way to heaven. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 3. But it stirs up, as one might imagine, lots of anger from the, um, the religious authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They get quite cross because G- um, Paul, um, Peter is preaching against them. And so they arrest Peter and they put him in prison. And in chapter 4 of Acts, we we read this. By what power or what name are you doing this? They haul him up before them to, to, to give account. And then it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, exactly what is promised, says to them, rulers, people, elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you well. This is the Jesus. This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. Which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I need to take a drink of water. (coughs) The air's quite dry in here. I'm sorry, I need another one. Thank you. (coughs) And it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognised they had been with Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. So what I wanted to point out here, that these uneducated, common, that means illiterate men, came up with this amazing dialogue about Jesus. They even used prophecy from the Old Testament, talking about the stone that the builders had rejected, things which the Pharisees would have studied. And and yet these, these just ordinary fishermen were translated into 
perfect speakers. They'd obviously been to Mark's Speaking Academy. <coughs> Excuse me. So people like us, ordinary people like you and me, who can't speak, haha, um, very clearly, and um, can be translated into great speakers when the Holy Ghost comes upon us. In that particularly um, pertinent position where we have to defend our faith. Okay, so just to summarise now, <clears throat> we've got I've got three points from this sermon, and um, I hope I have enough voice to finish them. <laughs> Um, The thing that really beamed out at me from this message today was the importance of confessing the word. (coughs) Because what we say, Jesus says to the angels, and then they come and bring that word to pass. And then you cannot accidentally blaspheme the Holy Ghost. This must be a willful and knowing act. And then the third point, there's special provision for Christians who have to defend their faith in extraordinary circumstances before religious or um, governing authorities. So that's the end of my message this morning. I hope you got something out of it. If you would like prayer this morning, then either come and ask for prayer or just ask people next to you and find a scripture that you can both agree on and the angels will be dispatched to see that scripture brought to pass. I pray you all have a really wonderful week and we'll see you all again next week. God bless you all.